This is the Frankly Daniel Show, and I'm the Daniel in the Frankly part of this enterprise. It's my weekly exercise of our First Amendment rights, and it's an honor to be here today with you. So much to cover, so much to say. Your time is precious, and I appreciate it. So let's jump right in. John Quincy Adams said, Submission never set boundaries to encroachment. If we must perish, let it be in defense of our rights. Now, as much as I feel compelled to rail against the sheer stupidity and utter cowardice of the Biden administration and the tragedy of Afghanistan, I'm going to resist going there today because we have a significant battle right here on our hands at home. If we must perish, let it be in defense of our children and their rights. Right here in our backyards, in our states, in our school districts, and in our neighborhood schools, we're under attack by unfettered wokeness. If not us, then who will fight for the rights of parents and our children? Who will stand and say, not an inch further, stop right there and begin to back up. Find the door out and never come back. Wokeness is not welcome here anymore. But first we must understand the landscape of this war against our constitutional rights. Our enemy is not confused about their objective, and they're strategically and tactically smart. Our problem lies in our doubting nature that anyone can be as ruthless as the progressive left. But please, look at the open border catastrophe. Look at the Afghanistan holocaust. Look at the crushing identity politics of the left to brand us as a nation of systemic racists. Look at the phenomenal efforts to make us believe that transgender or non-binary ideology is special and must be granted extraordinary rights and privileges as a special class of Americans. Surely you can't accept these are all social justice accidents. And the left, the progressives, the Biden administration, they are all using our children and our children's children's inheritance to finance their social justice exploits. Yes, we're being generationally exploited. The left is raping and then trampling on the very soul and spirit of America. Yet we remain so gullible and resigned that we're somehow powerless to stand against the sea of social demise. But we're, we're not helpless. Nonetheless, wokeness will come to rule all we value if we don't pay attention to the true circumstances of daily events. If you wish an example of disorganizational delusion, look at Afghanistan today. Are we all proverbial frogs in a pan of water on top of a stove being slowly heated to the point of a boiling death? But on occasion, something like Afghanistan happens, where the flame on the stove ignites and we wake up, jump out of the pan, and we're angry as a hive of infuriated hornets. This is that time. One thing we must understand is that the Biden administration has repeatedly demonstrated they're a major problem in this developing quagmire of ruinous Marxist ideology, and in no way are they a solution or a stabilizing force. They're the ones, in fact and in action, working to undermine and assault Americanism and every constitutional right we possess. Our First Amendment rights, our Second Amendment rights, our states' rights, are all under attack by our own federal government. 
It's as if progressives believe that government exists to serve government, and they're the government. So today I'm going to stay laser-focused on the evil that is un-American wokeness, particularly around race and public K-12 education. I'm going to share stories, key stories of wokeness today, all true stories, all very current stories, all with key themes and lessons. But because so many schools are just opening, allow me to say a few things about my favorite topic, mask mandates for children, attending in-person learning. Yes, thousands of schools reopened this week. Thousands more will open next week. Some school districts have been closed to in-person, in-class learning for more than 577 days. I mean, do you realize that? 500, that's a year and a half. Parents everywhere were hoping, were expecting, and in many cases were demanding a return to normality for this school year. They certainly did not expect a Delta variant stress eruption. They certainly did not expect face masks in their face again. They're distressed to just learn that their children's schools paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to equity consulting firms to conduct equity and racial awareness assessments over the summer. Shamefully, schools plan on using these self-serving assessments to inform parents and students that they're ignorant and largely unaware of their own hidden racial bias and racial insensitivity and that their racism cannot stand. With these false outcomes, schools are primed to force tenets of critical race theory, gender ideology, racial equity, and more wokeness on all students and parents. And parents' inquiries, input, and concerns, they be damned. Woke school districts are on an unholy crusade of extreme social justice to correct years of what they perceive as white supremacy and systemic racism in America. This is the left's unholy jihad. But on a day like today, parents' most immediate concerns are with those dictatorial face masks. Now, states like Florida and Texas have made face masks for school-aged children optional, at the discretion of parents. But this parental right is not recognized by the Biden administration. In fact, to the, to the contrary, Joe Biden has proclaimed himself a super-parent, He's not a lowly co-parent, but a federal super-parent. He decides, with the politically mandated assistance of a captive CDC, if children, all children, will have to suffer eight hours of mask wearing each school day. This is Biden's Sharia law. If you don't cover your face and mouth, you will be publicly stoned in a court of federal opinion, and you could also be fined. This despite not one credible, peer-reviewed, case-controlled study that there's any value to children wearing masks. This despite the National Institutes of Health's annual research grant budget of $42 billion and not one credible study on masks. Forget that the World Health Organization that Biden was quick to rejoin once he became president in rebuke of President Trump's withdrawal from this Chinese-controlled agency. Forget that WHO doesn't recommend masks for children under the age of 12. Forget that more than 40 national ministries of health, mostly from Europe, all agree that masking children under the age of 12 is more harmful than protective against COVID. Now, if you want to know who's afraid of COVID in the classroom, ask teachers. They'll tell you they are. 
And why shouldn't they be? Many of them aren't vaccinated yet and may have a very good reason for not doing so. They're of childbearing years, and and no one can legitimately assure them that these COVID vaccines, as miraculous as they are, have no future risk to them as fertile future mothers or, or their babies. So let's cut to the chase. It's teachers, not children, that masks in schools are all about. Now, if you doubt this, just remember the teachers' union's involvement in writing CDC recommendations last school year, allowing school boards to close schools to in-person and in-class instruction. Moreover, teachers demanded and were allowed to race to the head of the vaccination line because schools had to be open. But teachers, by and large, didn't vaccinate and schools didn't open. So why the pretense that we're protecting children with masks or protecting the loved ones children go home to after school. Are we protecting them with ma- mask, really? It's a cite your source of proof, and it, it, please don't tell me it's the CDC. Uh, please don't tell me it's the CDC. The CDC doesn't have proof. They have theories. The political left, and yes, I'm sorry to say that politics, not science, runs the CDC. Yes, the political left, the woke science mob, the same intellectual thugs that stymied our attempts to understand the source of coronavirus, have nothing but theories to hammer us with. Their theories say that natural immunity from having had a COVID infection, that doesn't protect you. You require a vaccination. Not true. Their theories said that six feet of social distancing is necessary to protect you from COVID infections. Not true. Their theories say that masks are critically protective against COVID-19, and it's Delta variant. Not true. Their theory said that you needed to Clorox your delivered groceries. Not true. I can see Dr. Sanjay Gupta on CNN doing a YouTube instructional video showing us marginal humans how to Clorox our home deliveries. And while we're talking about theories, remember that sack of poison called critical race theory is also just a theory and an ill-conceived and shoddy one at that. For heaven's sakes, this is just another woke theory, and not a proclamation from Lord Almighty that white people are systemically racist, or that even such a thing exists. And then we have the most recent lie, the theory of chaos used by the Biden White House to explain what's happening in Afghanistan. The White House could have dialed 1-800-PSYCHIC and developed a better prediction and explanation for what's unfolding in Afghanistan. But there I go again. And I promised you and myself that I would avoid the magnetic attraction of commenting on the liquidation of sanity in Afghanistan. So like my New Year's resolutions, I must start over again with more discipline this time. So what else did parents expect and hope for this school year? No more online instruction. But some school districts have already dashed these hopes by moving directly to online instruction, thwarting parents' return to gainful employment and a slice of normality. All because Biden has scared schools off in-person learning. Or was it their district's teachers' unions that threw in the red flag? As I said previously, teachers' unions have resisted mandates for teacher COVID vaccinations. At this point, I think these vaccinations should be a personal choice. But then, don't go making other people like children responsible for your COVID safety by supporting masking kindergartners or demanding teachers get vaccinated. 
And for research, surely teachers know how to do research. At least those teaching science should know something about reviewing and interrogating the scientific literature for the statistical efficacy and effectiveness of masks that are supposed to be protecting children from COVID. With the help of their teachers' union resources, I'm sure teachers have compiled a literature review of mask studies and written abstracts on each article they find. Perhaps they've also collected a random sample of sources and executed an independent probability review of the reported results. Unquestionably, they've checked the source of each study and each article for the author's credentials and the funding source. Surely they've checked for logical fallacies, cognitive distortions, personal biased opinions, and, and outright lies. Did these studies publish data? And is each study's sample size large enough to have the statistical power to reject the null hypothesis of no difference between masked and unmasked groups? Or were these studies observational or anecdotal tales of mass COVID mishaps? I can't tell you the number of times I've heard folks cite single, unverified stories as their source for why they believe something about masks in school for children. For example, it's not uncommon to hear that someone knew someone who died of COVID, even though the person was vaccinated. Unfortunately, this person was a teacher and their school made masking for children optional. Four days after school started, this teacher came down with a high fever and cough. Sure enough, the hospital confirmed the teacher had a vaccine breakthrough COVID infection and she was admitted. But tragically, she died the next day. And if that ain't proof kids must be masked, then nothing is. But hello, that's proof of absolutely nothing. But it's amazing how powerful these anecdotal stories are in shaping people's belief about COVID and masks. And as these stories get passed around, they grow in ridiculous details and become nearly movie scripts for future horror films. And then, to top off all the bizarre sources, someone will cite Dr. Fauci. Dr. Fauci said this, or Dr. Fauci said that. Anything Fauci says is poof, not proof. If you depend on Dr. Fauci as your rabbi or spiritual COVID leader, then start thinking about how you can take flame-retardant clothing with you to your afterlife. Now, please, don't generalize my statements to all teachers. They're all very individual folks, and their beliefs and behaviors differ. Instead, let me recommend a source to you. You can depend on Dr. Marty McCary, who is a Johns Hopkins professor of medicine and public health. Marty McCary. M-A-K-A-R-A. Go ahead and Google him. M-A-K-A-R-A. Frequently, you'll see Marty on Fox News talking about COVID because his advice is grounded in science and logic. Take my advice and look for his very recent articles in, of all places, the Wall Street Journal. Look for the one entitled, the Case Against Masks for Children. Subtitled, It's Abusive to Force Kids Who Struggle with Them to Sacrifice for the Sake of Unvaccinated Adults. Now, this article appeared in the August 8th edition of the journal. Marty is a friend and a highly respected surgeon and public health physician. Marty is the chief of violet transplant surgery and a professor of surgery at the Johns Hopkins School of Medicine and a full professor of public health at the Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. But at heart, Marty's a surgeon, and surgeons are no-nonsense kind of people. It's really amazing. We've imposed a tremendous amount of restrictions now 
coming on almost two years on 56 million kids, including the 40% of adolescents already vaccinated, we forced a blanket requirement of masking, even in the half of the parts of the country with low uh, rates of infection, with no good data. We've been assuming there's zero harm associated with it. And the truth is, some kids do well with masks and other kids struggle severely. 5% of kids have a cognitive or physical disability, yet this requirement is blanket on them. You know, the masks alter breathing and we don't know the long-term, long-term consequences. It's one thing if it does so for a couple weeks or months, but we're coming on almost two years now of requiring kids to have their facial expressions muted. They're not visualizing speech, which is important in phonetic development. And there's no exit strategy. The CDC put this on blanket without any plan to remove it or criteria. The case of one infection here and one there is not the stuff upon which nationals or state or even local policies should be made. But such is the way of the left. The woke left takes infinitesimal numbers and they extrapolate them into major policy decisions. Then the woke try to convince us that their actions will benefit millions of people when in fact these policies help very few at the expense of very many. How about an example? Okay, let's take transgender school policies. The typical school board transgender student policy mandate commands that teachers and school staff address all transgender students by their gender-preferred names and gender-preferred pronouns. For instance, if a male student's name was Sheldon, they may now prefer to be called Shelley. They may also prefer to be addressed by any one of 14 to 20 different transgender-approved pronouns. Now, most teachers and parents don't really care if someone wants to be called Shelley instead of Sheldon. Name changes are rarely the issue with transgender policies. There are religious parents and teachers that have a problem with what they believe in essence is lying to a child that they're a girl when their sex says they're really a boy. But by and large, most people don't mind the issue. School district policies state that transgender students may choose the restroom and dressing locker uh, of their preferred gender. So transgender males may use female-only locker rooms and restrooms, and vice versa, or biologic females declaring themselves males may use male facilities. Okay, we can build separate facilities to address this concern. But here's the immovable protest. Males who profess their females may, without proof of transition, demand to compete as females in women's athletics. Only the absolutely woke left agrees with this point. Why all the new rules, you ask? Well, why, how many students are transgender? Well, what's this all about? Well, first, why the new rules? Equity assessments compile anecdotal claims that transgender students are bullied at school and therefore must have special protections against this form of gender harassment. Hello, <laughs> all schools have zero tolerance bullying policies. Bullying is no reason to institute new special rules. The real reason behind these special accommodations is a blatant attempt to legitimize transgenderism through a set of nationally accepted school policies recognizing transgenderism. If there are rules against bullying transgenders, then transgenderism is a special class like race, religion, and national origin. As for how many students does this protect, let's look at the national estimates of how many Americans report they are transgender adults. 
In 2021, approximately 1.4 million Americans identified as transgender, or about 0.4%. This isn't even half of 1%, and this includes underage students and adults. In school grades 5 through 12, fewer than 0.1% identify as non-binary or transgender. This is approximately one-tenth of 1%. So let's look to apply this to school districts that have just voted in new transgender policies. And let's look in particular at Loudoun County Public School District in Virginia, where transgender policy issues have been explosive (laughs) these past few months. A recent equity assessment conducted by a critical race theory consulting group from California claims Loudoun County transgender students are often bullied. The school district just passed a policy after a lot of protest. The policy was approved on a 7-2 vote to require teachers to address transgender students using their chosen gender names and gender pronouns. Now, students in all the Loudoun County schools may also use gender-segregated facilities that correspond with their gender identity. The new guidelines, which take effect immediately, also allow males identifying as females to compete in girls' athletics. But before the vote, parents protested, saying this policy would hurt the majority of children. They labeled this policy as divisive, anti-family, anti-privacy, and anti-teacher. At the Loudoun County uh, Open School Board meeting, just this last early part of August, one teary-eyed female teacher stood at the podium and resigned live before the school board. She disagreed with the district's pushing political ideologies and equity and inclusion initiatives that violate her Christian faith. She also accused the panel of silencing dissent. She also cited an informal reporting system with her school that encouraged teachers to tattle on one another for questioning the district's policies. Now, this is another story we're going to get to in just a bit. Her microphone was cut off before she could finish her statement. My name is Laura Morris. I have been a teacher in Loudoun County Public Schools for five years and a teacher for 10. This summer, I have struggled with the idea of returning to school, knowing that I'll be working yet again with a school division that, despite its shiny tech and flashy salary, promotes political ideologies that do not square with who I am as a believer in Christ. After reading about your lack of consideration for the growing population of concerned citizens in this division, clearly evidenced by this empty room tonight where you shut the doors to the public as well as the emails sent by the superintendent last year reminding me that a dissenting opinion is not allowed even to be spoken in my personal life, going so far as to send a form to my colleagues and I encouraging us to fill it out If we hear one another speaking against the controversial policies being promoted by this school board and adopted in this county. Not only that, but within the last year, I was told in one of my so-called equity trainings that white, Christian, able-bodied females currently have the power in our schools and that, quote, this has to change. Clearly, you've made your point. You no longer value me or many other teachers you've employed in this county. So since my contract outlines the power that you have, Over my employment in Loudoun County Public Schools, I thought it necessary to resign in front of you. School board, I quit. I quit your policies. I quit your trainings. And I quit being a cog in a machine that tells me to push highly politicized agendas on our most vulnerable constituents, the children. I will find employment elsewhere. 
I encourage all parents and staff in this county to flood the private schools. Another teacher, Tanner Cross, a physical ed teacher at Leesburg uh, Elementary, testified before a summer board meeting stating that, My name is Tanner Cross and I'm speaking out of love for those who suffer with gender dysphoria. 60 Minutes this past Sunday interviewed over 30 young people who transitioned, but they felt led astray because lack of pushback or how easy it was to make physical changes to their bodies in just three months. They are now detransitioning. It's not my intention to hurt anyone, but there are certain truths that we must face when ready. We condemn school policies like 8040 and 8035 because it will damage children, defile, defile the holy image of God. I love all of my students, but I will never lie to them regardless of the consequences. I'm a teacher, but I serve God first, and I will not affirm that a biological boy can be a girl and vice versa because it's against my religion, it's lying to a child, it's abuse to a child, and it's sinning against our God. His reward for his honest testimony? Well, the school board suspended uh, Tanner Cross without pay. Mr. Cross appealed his suspension to the district court, and Judge James Palman placed a temporary injunction nullifying the suspension and ordered that he be reinstated. But the vindictive school board has appealed this decision to the Virginia Supreme Court. The appeal is before the court, and they will try the case in early September. These two teachers' actions definitely energize the debate over the district's transgender policy. Loudoun County enrolls approximately 90,000 K-12 through public school students each school year. So let's find out the impact of how many people transgenderism really affects in a school district of 90,000. Of the 90,000, approximately 55,000 students are in K-5 through K-12. So if we use the national estimate that there are fewer than one-tenth of a percent of students in this particular category of transgenderism, this means out of 55,000, about 55 students identify as non-binary or transgender in Loudoun County Public Schools. But let's be generous and even say there are 90 such students. Now note, these students aren't gay, they're transgender. And remember, many of these young uh, students are just trying on this new identity to see if this is really them. So 90 students out of 90,000. And again, what makes this a special group? Why, why can't any student petition to be addressed by another name, uh, other than his or her given name, that is? Shouldn't you be able to force teachers to address you as Mr. Handsome, or Ms. Fast, or Ms. Intelligent? What about the kids whose parents can't afford to dress to dress them in the most recent on-fashion clothing. Surely there are at least 90 of these students in a school district of 90,000. Where's the policy protecting them from style bullying? Many parents complain that the woke school district solution was to pass a policy that impacts all 90,000 students rather than address the bullying for which the district already has a zero-tolerance policy against bullying anyone for any reason. Well, I have an explosive second half to this show that you're going to love. But we're going to take a quick break now. Don't go away. Come on right back. I'll be here. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. Are you looking for better sleep, focus, and energy? Check out Healthy Cell, the leading innovator of nutritional supplements for cell health. Most vitamins haven't been upgraded since the 1930s. Healthy Cell uses a innovative technology, which is a gel pack 
that pro provides a better absorbed vitamins and nutrients where they're needed the most. I just took a healthy cell today before I went out and exercised and I can tell you I am working hard for America Out Loud radio as we speak and tonight I am looking for good REM sleep and I can tell you I am tired and I want to fall asleep, stay asleep and sleep deeply and wake up refreshed with healthy cells. I'm going to use the Healthy Cell REM Sleep Supplement. This is the only sleep supplement to dis to designed to support all four stages of sleep. So go to HealthyCell.com and use the code OUTLOUD, all capital letters, and get a 20% off for your first order of any product. I use Healthy Cell, and I'm really glad that I've been introduced to it. So I recommend it for you. Again, go to HealthyCell.com and use the OUTLOUD a code, promotional code, for a 20% off your first order. Let's get real. Let's get loud on America Out Loud Talk Radio. This is the McCullough Report. AmericaOutloud.com is the alternative from the agenda-driven globalist. Here, we take on the challenges of our generation so that we can preserve future generations. On-demand podcast or real-time talk radio with our streaming apps on Apple, Android, or Alexa. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. Hello, hello, and greetings and hallucinations, and welcome back to the Frankly Daniel Show. Here's an audio clip of Ian Pryor, the executive director of a not-for-profit organization of Loudoun County parents entitled Fight for Schools. Ian has a few comments to make about the Loudoun County School Board's ill-advised new policy on all things transgender. Look, we're not talking about a policy here that prevents discrimination or prevents bullying or things that absolutely everyone agrees with. Those policies are already on the books. This is an accommodation, an accommodation that really only applies to a small group of people. And it, you know, on the other side of the ledger, you have a majority of people whose First Amendment rights are going to be impacted, whether it's um, you know compelled speech, as we've seen from the Sixth Circuit, or it's the safety of their children or the modesty of their children. The bottom line is the Loudoun County School Board, as we've seen over and over again, despite hundreds of parents going there and, and speaking out against this policy, refuses to listen to its community. And I commend these teachers for stepping up to the plate. Mr. Pryor has said elsewhere, I blame myself and I think other parents should look in the mirror and say, hey, we were distracted. We were apathetic. He said, we just made assumptions that our local school board had the best interest of our students at heart and they weren't going to be infected with political ideology one way or the other. I have to say for them, at least they are organized, they are standing up and they are taking a stand. I'll be reporting on the Loudoun County Public Schools and their woke school board as we go forward. Why, you might ask? Because they're an illuminating model of all the woke nonsense progressives thrust at parents and children in public schools. The woke claim they're taking actions to protect the many, but the truth is they're taking actions to protect their own ideology. Well, it's story time, and allow me to start with this disturbing story. It's one of several I wish to share with you in this brief time to highlight the wokeness, what it's doing to American education, and what it's doing to Americans across the nation. 
This first story is one I read in the Federalist uh, August 13th of 2021. It's about a liberal father who was inconspicuously sitting in on his sixth grade son's online class during the COVID-19 crisis. One afternoon, he observed his, son, his son's assignment in an English class in which all the white students were required to place their arms beside a brown paper bag. The teacher, a white woman, asked, Do you notice a difference in the color between your skin and the brown paper bag? The white student said, Yes. The teacher then asked, Does the color of the bag look close to the skin color of some classmates who identify as black? Again, they answered, yes, but they answered in lower tones and less confidently. The teacher then announced, if your skin color is different from the color of the paper bag, then you're part of an American problem known as systemic racism. Systemic racism does irreparable harm to all black and brown people. If you identify as white, you enjoy something called white privilege, which means you are practicing racism every day without knowing it. The teacher then went on to ask the class if they'd ever heard of the term reparations. At this point, allegedly, the father got up and slammed the screen of his son's laptop computer down and told him to go to his room. The article said the father stood at his 12-year-old's computer, shaking with disbelief. Now, this sixth grader hadn't committed any sin or harm against any person of color, not even Asian Americans. You know, the woke intelligentsia doesn't consider Asians people of color. Certainly when it comes to critical race theory, they don't. But if they need Asians to be victims of Trump's comments about the Wuhan flu or for other woke purposes, then Asians are people of color too. Why the woke have recently included Hispanics or brown people in their very limited rainbow coalition remains a mystery. 90% of the time, they're really, they really mean black people. And I have no doubt Hispanics have faced discrimination, but they were never slaves, nor were any of those among the black folks raising Cain about systemic racism. They were never slaves either. Uh, you're welcome to ask why the woke don't include Asians as victims of systemic racism when it comes to education. The truth is, is that Asian Americans don't want to be associated with anything the woke are up to, nor do they wish to be included in people of color. They just want to be Americans. Asian American students are capable of succeeding despite the cruelty and discrimination they've endured throughout their immigration to America in the past. Think Chinese railroads, slaves, and workers in the mid-1850s through the 1870s and the Japanese internment during World War II. Somehow they've escaped the same systemic racism that some black people claim for their victimhood. The progressives have claimed the domain of victimhood as foundational to their identity politics. Radical progressives mock and dismiss individual success. They loathe self-determined individualism and espouse that only collective groups can overcome white-imposed systemic racism. Like all things Marxist, it's about the class collective struggle. There are no individuals. There are only class struggles. And in today's woke America, whites are the group to oppose. Whites are the oppressors and no denials of racism by any shameful racist group like this can correct 400 years of white supremacy, white privilege, and white dominion over people of color, especially people of African heritage. 
that's what we're dealing with. So here's the next story. The Oregon Department of Education is urging teachers to be trained in something called ethnomathematics, which argues that white supremacy has made manifest by the insistence on getting the correct answer and making students show their work. As reported in Edweek in October of 2019, this Seattle school district is planning to infuse all K-12 math classes with ethnic study questions that encourage students to explore how math has been appropriated by Western culture and used in systems of power and oppression. How is it helpful to teach elementary grade students that 2 plus 2 could equal 4, but it could also equal 5 or 3? It depends. The left will come up with anything to excuse why people of color can't do something. But you can count on them telling us it's white folks that have put people of color in these impossible predicaments. Somehow, Asian American students have genetic supermath powers. I believe a lot of the superpowers belong to the nuclear family, to those families who are involved in the success of their children's school performance. Asian American families, especially first-generation American families, are very focused on their children's schoolwork and their academic success. Oh, by the way, did you know that algebra is one of the biggest hurdles to students getting a high school degree or a college degree? Particularly for students of color and first-generation undergrads. No, it's true. It's also the single most failed course in community colleges across the country. Tucker Carlson recently asked Libby Edmonds, how could math be racist since it's purely objective? Well, that's a really good question, but to answer that question, you also have to understand that objectivity is now considered racist. So, you know, that's part of the problem. Anything where you get to have right and wrong answers, well, you know, that's racist. But there are several additional problems with this entire program. Uh, the first one is that this is the idea that uh, teachers are perpetuating racism in the classroom because they are racist. They are blind to their own biases, and they don't have any control over whether or not they bring that racism with them. The other one is, as you said, this idea that math is a white discipline, which even a modicum of research would tell you is monumentally absurd. And the third is this concept of the this, this soft bigotry of lowered expectations that tells people that um, students of color can't achieve to the given standard, and so those standards need to be changed. So what does the woke culture do when people of color have a difficult time with math? Well, simple. They eliminate it as a graduation requirement. In fact, many school districts are eliminating advanced math classes altogether. This way, black students in particular won't feel bad that none of them are taking these voluntary courses. I'm honest. I mean, listen to a parent at a recent Loudoun County School Board meeting. As one example, why on earth would you pull accelerated math at the middle school level? You are completely failing our vulnerable communities, telling them they aren't good enough uh, to succeed, so instead you plan to trap them in mediocrity. I am unaware of any genetic code issues impacting uh, children of color that makes them math resistant. Surely one is not born math incapable. Sh surely. Next story. This is also in Oregon, one of the most woke states on the planet. Recently, like two weeks ago, the Oregon legislature passed, and Governor Kate Brown signed into law, 
that a high school diploma isn't a guarantee a student who earned it can read, write, or do math at a high school level. Uh, note, this is the same state that's into ethno-mathematics. This new graduation law will be in effect for the next five years as Oregon suspends all reading, writing, and math proficiency requirements for graduation. Over the next five years, the state will develop a new graduation standard that will benefit Oregon's Black, Latino, Latina, Latinx, Indigenous, Asian, Pacific Islander, Tribal, and any other student of color. My nerves. But of course, if Democrats become any more woke, they'll shut the school system down, declaring all schools are infected with white privilege and systemically racist. After all, standardized tests are racist because white people created them and certain people of color can't manage to pass them. Besides, these new untested graduates all have smartphones. Today's smartphones not only add and subtract, but they also read articles out loud for the academically challenged former students. And if they work at McDonald's, the cash registers, they do all the calculating. They even dispense change. So how well is this idea going over in America? Well, the latest Rasmussen reports from their national telephone and online surveys find that 81% of adult Americans would oppose a law in their state that says high school students do not need to be proficient in reading, writing, and mathematics to graduate. Only 12% favor such a law in their state. Oh boy, 75% say dropping proficiency requirements will be bad for Oregon's black, Latino, Latina, Latinx, Indigenous, Asian, Pacific Islander, Tribal, and students of color. Only 7% think dropping the requirement will be good for those students, while another 9% think it's not going to make any difference. 80% of Americans believe students who earn a high school diploma without proficiency in reading, writing, and arithmetic will find it harder to succeed in the workplace or in college. I think so, too. Now, 112% of whites, 212% of blacks, and 77.5% of other minorities say that proficient... Rec Just checking to see if you're listening. That's, that's all I was doing there. Enough of all that stuff. Once again, all this proves that people of color don't want white, elite, woke dictators cheapening their degrees and announcing to the world that they aren't smart enough and hardworking enough to graduate proficient in these subjects. Please, Democrats are more likely than Republicans or those not affiliated with either major party to support the Oregon law. Now, why isn't that surprising? According to last week's Rasmussen survey report, at a time when many schools are embroiled in a controversy over teaching critical race theory, voters still think it's important that kids learn traditional values in school. Now, isn't that amusing? Rasmussen found that 78% of likely U.S. voters say it's at least somewhat important for schools to teach traditional values of Western civilization, including 52% said it's very important. This is virtually unchanged from four years ago and in line with surveys dating back to 2013. Among voters who say it's very important to teach traditional Western values, 57% don't think most schools do a good job of teaching those values. Finally, because of CRT, parents are beginning to focus on what school boards are packing into those civics curricula. 
All these stories and issues are part and parcel of an American Marxist revolution or attempted revolution to change our form of government from a Republican, constitutionally-based set of individual rights to an all-controlling, top-down, authoritarian government. So we're clear on what republicanism is. The dictionary says republicanism is an ideology of governing a nation as a republic with an emphasis on liberty and the civic virtue practiced by citizens. More broadly, it refers to a political system that protects liberty, especially by incorporating a rule of law that government cannot arbitrarily ignore. We have a republican constitution. As for virtue... Virtue is behavior showing high moral standards like trustworthiness, integrity, decency, honesty, merit, and dignity. As an aside, I ask you, is the Biden administration a trustworthy, decent, honest, political representation of America? I think you know my answer. So here's the next story. This one is from the National Review, the Atlanta in-town paper, the Washington Post, and scores of other newspapers and media sites. Like the previous stories, this one was first reported on August 12th of this year. First, here's the setting. This story takes place at the Mary Lynn Elementary School in Atlanta, Georgia, which is part of the Atlantic Public School System, or APS. Mary Lynn Elementary is a K through K-5 kindergarten through fifth grade public school of about 600 students. Around 73% of these are white, or 440 students, and 10% are black, or about 60 youngsters. In total, the second grade class has 98 students, of which 12 are black. These second graders are divided evenly between eight different homeroom classes and teachers. Enter parent Kayla Posey, a black mother of a black daughter. Mrs. Posey happens to be the Vice President of Operations for the school's Parent-Teacher Association. She's also a 17-year veteran educator who previously worked in the Atlantic Public School System. She worked as a program specialist at the Maryland Elementary School before leaving to begin her own business, the Club After School LLC, that provides after-school educational programs. So Mrs. Posey is quite familiar with elementary education and students in this category of public education. She also has inside knowledge and experience about operations at the Mary Lynn Elementary. Now Mrs. Posey and her husband, Dr. Jason Posey, have two children and both attend the Mary Lynn Elementary School. Mrs. Posey's husband is Mary Lynn Elementary School's psychologist. Uh, Dr. Jason Posey is a 23-year veteran school psychologist who has worked for APS for 10 years and the last eight at Maryland Elementary. Dr. Posey is also black. In late July of 2020, while students were still in online learning classes, the Maryland administrators were deciding how to best pair students up with second grade teachers for the coming 2021 school year. The Poseys noticed on the school's website that their second grade daughter had already been placed in a homeroom and with a particular teacher for the forthcoming school year. They both believed this arrangement was suboptimal for their daughter. Because Dr. Posey worked for the school, the school's policy allowed the Poseys to request a change of venue. Now before going any further, there's a final piece of the school setting puzzle that's important to share with you. 
Mrs. Sharon Briscoe, the school's principal, is also a black woman. So in short, everyone involved is African American. Now, let me say here, all that I'm about to relate is from a dozen different articles from a dozen different news organizations. But what I'm going to share is all as reported. Additionally, I've also relied on the sworn testimony of the Posies. But to be on the safe side, all I'm about to share with you falls under the heading of allegedly. They allegedly said this and they allegedly said that. Okay, so here we go. Uh, Kyla Posey obviously knows Sharon Briscoe, the principal. After learning of her daughter's placement for the forthcoming year, she called Principal Briscoe and requested that, if possible, she'd like her second-grade daughter to be placed in a certain homeroom with a different teacher. She explained that her daughter and this other teacher will be a much better fit for her daughter. The principal says, I don't, I don't think that's going to work. The principal then tried to dissuade Mrs. Posey from her choice offering another teacher she thought would also be appropriate. When Mrs. Posey asked why and what did she mean, the principal said, the homeroom and teacher I selected for your daughter was for black students. Now, Mrs. Posey knows there are only about uh, 10 or 12 black second graders at Maryland Elementary. So Mrs. Posey asked the principal, well, what does that mean? The principal replied that, Mrs. Posey's selection wasn't one of the two black classes. Mrs. Posey reported that she was initially confused, and she asked for clarification. She, she then said to Mrs. Briscoe, uh, we have those in, in the school? The principal said, yes, I've decided that I'm going to place all black students in the second grade in two classes. The implication being that black students need to be with other black students. Now, at this point, an appalled Mrs. Posey said no to having her daughter placed in a segregated classroom. She said that she explained to the principal that her daughter shouldn't be isolated with other black children and that she wouldn't agree to go along with something that was, in fact, unethical and probably illegal. Uh, Kyla Posey said, first, it was just disbelief that I was having this conversation in 2020 with a person that looks just like me a black woman. My stomach dropped. It's segregating classrooms. You can't segregate classrooms. You can't do it. Getting no satisfaction from the principal, Mrs. Posey then called Mary Benton, the assistant principal, and with the school administrator, they confirmed that it was the principal's idea and choice to separate the students. Apparently, the principal had assigned all black second graders to one of two homerooms, leaving the other six uh, second grade rooms entirely white. Now she did this without the knowledge or consent of other black families. The decision was entirely unilateral. On November 18th of last year, the Posies took their complaint to the chief academic officer for the Atlantic Public Schools, uh, Ms. Yolanda Brown. Now Ms. Brown confirmed that the principal had purposely placed the black students in one of two rooms. Despite assurances that the Atlanta public school system would deal with the situation, uh, Mrs. Posey and her husband Jason filed a complaint with the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights claiming the principal's policy of segregating black students was a violation of Title VI of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. 
So while this lawsuit proceeds, the Atlanta Public Schools came out with a statement saying it doesn't condone the assigning of students to classrooms based on race. Furthermore, the district conducted a review of the allegations and appropriate actions were taken to address the issue, and as far as they were concerned, the matters closed. But, uh, but not so fast. The Posies want the principal and the administrator removed for allowing the system of segregation to proceed in the first place. Moreover, the principal has allegedly been involved in retaliation against the Posies. Mrs. Posey said both she and her husband have suffered retaliatory acts after making the allegation. For instance, Mrs. Briscoe has repeatedly requested the transfer of Dr. Posey from Mary Lynn Elementary. Now, the chief academic officer, Yolanda Brown, assured the Posies that this transfer was not going to happen. According to court documents, the school district officials thwarted Mrs. Briscoe's attempts to move Dr. Posey. Given that the Atlanta Public Schools admitted they had stopped his transfer, makes the Posey's claim of retaliation credible. Dr. Posey also claims the principal Briscoe has unsuccessfully attempted to move him out of his office space at the school. Uh, the Atlantic Public Schools blocked that move also. Next, the principal tried to cancel the club-after-school contract the Posies have with Atlanta Public Schools. And on and on it goes. So what now? Well, the Department of Education's Office of Civil Rights could take as long as 18 months to investigate a charge. Given that the DOE is as woke as any DOE has ever been, don't expect justice to move swiftly or fairly. According to Ms. Posey, Ms. Briscoe is still the principal at the school. Nevertheless, this story highlights several key issues. First, critical race theory consultants are ceaselessly recommending student segregation of people of color. They posit these students need to be a protected class, protected from further discrimination. Principal Briscoe claimed that she was segregating blacks for their own good. Ms. Briscoe allegedly told the Posies that she was trying to build a community for black students, sharing that she'd felt isolated being the only black child in a school while she was growing up. So who gets to decide what's in the black student's best interest, even when those deciding are all black? And what criteria is acceptable for making these decisions? Because Ms. Briscoe experienced black isolation as a youngster, is this proper criteria? Can you imagine what the media would have done with this story had the principal been white? Second, those imposing these actions don't believe they need to ask permission or input from parents. When it comes to wokeness, parents don't have rights, not even civil rights. Sounds like the same arguments the woke are making about masks and vaccines. Third, the school boards and administrators pay no attention to elementary students' feelings or thoughts about what's happening to them. Fourth, we shouldn't assume that every black family agrees with what the woke radical progressives are doing in the name of black protection and anti-racism. Fifth, retaliation is ridiculously common in these situations. Every time parents ask for school administrators to explain themselves and parents don't agree with the school's decision, should they protest the decision, retaliation is sure to follow. Intimidation campaigns against teachers and parents are more frequent than ever. The Loudoun County School Board was about to vote and adopt a new school district human resources policy to restrict teacher speech 
to punish unapproved speech and to encourage other teachers to report teachers who violated the no speech policy. Employees are expected to support the school division's commitment to action-oriented equity practices through the performance of their job duties as the division engages in the disruption and dismantling of white supremacy, systemic racism, and the language and actions motivated by race, religion, country of origin, gender identity, sexual orientation, and or ability. The Code briefly acknowledges employees have a First Amendment right to engage in protected speech, but it says that that right may be outweighed by the school district's interest in promoting internal and external community harmony and peace, as well as class equity, racial equity, and the goal to root out systemic racism. Or in other words, keep your mouth shut or else. Well, it's happened again. Our time has come to an end. So much more to come next week. I regret I have only one life to give to my fellow conservatives. And I regret I had only one hour today to give to this topic. I hope you found it interesting and informative. Please follow me on Twitter. I do follow back. I can't possibly thank you enough. You were marvelous and so patient with me again today. Let's do talk therapy next week. Same place, same time. Until then, cheers. Cheers.